Welcome to HMH Learning Moments, a production of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. I'm Annalie Smith, and I work at HMH. Today, I'm sitting down with Noelle Morris, HMH's Director of Content and Programming and host of our Teachers in America series. We thought it might be fun to flip the script and interview her this time around to help you, our listeners, get to know her and her background as a teacher. So, Noelle, I feel I've gotten to know you pretty well. Uh, We've been able to travel together and work on this amazing podcast project. But can you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? The number one that I'm so proud of is I am a single mom raising a daughter. She's 14. Last summer, she grew three inches taller than me. Continues to be a little more of a gap continuing year to year. So that's where I'm the most proud and where I live in that space her name's Hetty, so she's named after me and my mother and a great aunt. So she's the fourth, but she gives me the privilege of like really understanding who's the new generation that we're teaching. Um, she reminds me of the passion of why I went into teaching and that not all students are going to love school. And that's actually how I joined and came into the educational arena and platform of teaching was... Um, Florida State graduate. So yes, I know everyone's heard my little Seminole um, moments through the podcast. And and Noelle, you can see me smiling right now, but our viewers can't because I am also a Florida State graduate. So that's one of the first things we bonded off of. Definitely. I remember, Annalie, you saying like, okay, Noelle, I'm not as football motivated as you are. Let's talk about all the great things Florida State has. And you bring up things of like club down under. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can remember that was just starting in the 90s when I was there. It's amazing what all happens and why it's so important to have people that come after you and you get to set that stage. So in 1992, when I graduated from Florida State, it was December you know, who graduates, first of all, <laughs> when you are thinking about going into education, December's probably not the best time to graduate. No. Um, also, there was a recession. And I, even though I had taken economics and I joke about this, but seriously, looking back um, now that I'm, you know, this fabulous age 50, I also think I probably should have understood a little bit more about economics and what that means as far as a recession, because no one was hiring. And so I'm very proud of my path, but it did start with substitute teaching in three counties. Oh, wow. Three different counties? Three different counties, being up, setting your alarm, waiting for a phone call, or often like practicing not having that I'm you just woke me up uh-huh. voice, yeah. <laughs> um, like acting like you're just this. I've been awake for hours. Such and you're <laughs> such always such a cool adult. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when you're I mean, you're an adult, but like seriously, you're 22, 23. Now, again, I can go back and say I was just becoming an adult. So I remember trying to wake up. Yes. Hello. This is Noel. And it, you, the The whole idea of why I went into three different districts was to increase my odds of being able to work five days a week. Oh, okay. And make $50 a day because I had quite substantial amount of school loans because I too was raised by a single mom and needed that to be able to go to school. So I had to get what I call a fourth job, (laughs) second (laughs) job. And so uh, there was a place called Downtown Church Street Station in Orlando, and it was Rosie O'Grady's and had been there as I grew up. It was one of the places, even though I didn't grow up in Orlando, my dad was from Orlando. And so we would go there and I would remember, well, there was a Birkenstock store 
And I loved Birkenstocks, and I can remember just being like, I'm going to get a sec, you know, that job. And so I sold, I was a sales in, Bir- sold Birkenstocks 5 to 11. Oh my gosh. So you were substitute teaching three different counties and then also selling Birkenstocks yes. afterwards. Yes. So I learned quite a bit, like, all right, this, you know, if you can sell someone a $110 pair of sandals with two leather straps and cord, you got some <laughs> skills. And I would just observe people and know how to ask them the right questions, how to fit them to the right shoe. And I was like, you know what, this is very similar to being in a classroom, getting to understand each student. When you're substituting, you're in and out. So you had you weren't going to get to know faculty. Mm-hmm. You didn't right? have time to develop relationships. No, really. but you had to make a quick impression on students and have these moments. And I still remember substituting. I felt clumsy in my profession. But let's fast forward a year and a half passes and I'm still doing, this is my routine, um, with, you know, roommates and all of that. And I remember really sitting down just saying, okay, if I don't get a full-time job, I'm going to have to go back and, you know, live at home. I, I don't know how else to, to make it. And I was driving down I-4 and I saw this football field and I was like, wow, that where there's a football field, in most places, but especially in Florida, that means that there's a high school Definitely. near. So I peel off of I-4, go under the underpass, and I remember the sign saying, Welcome to Eatonville, Florida. And in my head, there was some sort of, you know, musical, instrumental, like, oh, like, you know, peace, harmony, everything's about to happen because I'm a, I'm a, have a degree in English literature. So to me, this is where Zora Neale Hurston's from. I am meant to be in here. And I drive in, I was like, Hmm, you know, why more secondary school grades seven to 12? They, that's a lot, lot of grades in one place and alternative education. Oh, they must be very progressive. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up getting a job there um, ended up having, you know, every first year teacher gets a mentor teacher and you're welcomed into the faculty. So I thought, you know, but there was this sort of rite of passage and I was, um, completely challenged by it. I didn't, I was not prepared for students who did not like school, did not like teachers and did not trust me specifically. Like, I was like, where is this coming from? How can students be this frustrated? And during that time of my first year teaching, really struggling, I mean, I cried a lot. I went home. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't want to share with too many people how sad I was, how tired I was, um, trying to do everything. I mean, I broke... I broke a lot of copyright law. I didn't know what else to do to get materials, make materials. But the other thing I started realizing is I had to let my students get to know a little bit about me. So even though I was struggling teaching academia, I was figuring out a way to connect. My students learning that I too came from a single mom. Um, There were times I didn't know where my father was. You know, there were... um, there was a lot of moves. Friends came and went, or I i was maybe thought of one of those kids that just came and went. But there was a spirit inside me, and I can just remember my students being like, okay, you know, miss, you're all right. Like, you're all right. But that first year was a blur. 
until the last day of school where this one student who I learned to adore, but she hated my, I mean, literally, you could ask <laughs> me, like, she hated my guts. She told me often how much I made her sick. But that last day of school, when I hear Miss Miss Morris, Miss Morris, and her head is hanging out of the bus, and I make eye contact with her, and she tells me to have a good summer, and she'll see me next year, I remember thinking to myself, there must have been something that she liked and remembered and she went and all I can remember because I was learning so much about my students and some of the obstacles facing them was I do hope I see you next year I hope you do not get yourself in trouble this summer and I'm not able to see you and so my second year teaching I was getting a little bit better I was I had my principal was starting to um invested me more giving me more support and I remember her, towards the end of the year, she says, Noelle, I really want you to go see about this research project. You know, the county's offering something. I want you to go and see if this is right mm-hmm. for the school. And this was at the end of your first year teaching? Second. Second year. Second year teaching. Year teaching. Okay. So I, honestly, I don't know how I made it through my first year. <laughs> I mean, it's a blur. Like, I, here's one story. I left my keys on my desk one time. I could not find my keys until 7 p.m. The whole school shut down. I'm the only one at the school, but I'm too, I can't leave my classroom because I don't have a way to get home. And this is pretty much like cell phones are starting to become Right, you can't call thing. an Uber or a Lyft. You I'm, can't call. No, and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get home? What, you know, and I, what first thing that clicked is I remember who was over by my desk and I, it clicks that, it was malicious. Hiding my keys was malicious. And I also remember I was so embarrassed. How was I going to tell even my best friend that I had really grown close to at school that I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't even think she's still here. But how am I going to admit that I left my keys on the desk and that a student did not like me enough or needed something of my attention that he was going to hide my keys. Right. It feels like a personal failing. So personal. And I just, you know, going, how am I going to get home? What am I going to do? I'm going to have to face my students tomorrow. Like what if they see my car has never moved? Right. Um, There it's going to be all around school. And I remember something in my head was like, check this random box of junk under my desk. I I don't even know what was, why do I have a box of Xerox box of junk under my desk? I think a lot of (laughs) teachers might have a Xerox box of junk. (laughs) And I look underneath and I I lift up the box and my keys are sitting on top. Of course. Yes. So here's where I saw the, I'm always glasses half full person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? He could have buried them. He could have were not where been on where I see him, but all he did was put him in the box and on top. Mm-hmm. Do you know I never, I never faced the student. I never said, I know you did this. I felt like at the next day when he saw and I purposely parked my car in a different place. So there was this look of 
okay, she... There was acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to face it. And I think at that moment, he there was a diff, there was a change. But I also remember I he had there were other social things happening with him. And and if I can be completely honest, it was my first biracial student that I was meeting and, and understanding. And middle school must have been hard for him. And I can remember probably needing to be more in tune of what was being said about skin tones, where you belong, you know, the streets that you live on versus others. I mean, there's a lot there that I I now know I wasn't in tune to understanding and listening. So let's catapult three, year three. I'm in this research project that has become, is going to become Read 180, um, I'm getting more coaching and support. I'm starting to have some respect because now I have made it to year three. I think a lot of people probably bet that I wasn't. Yeah. And I was starting to learn a lot about how teachers accidentally can be put in this box of, are you worthy enough? Are you good enough if you teach an alternative or you teach something not prestigious as 12th grade British lit? And hey, I even thought I was going to teach 12th grade British lit. I I didn't understand a lot about this subculture. And so it's now year three. I'm going to meet a student who truly changed me forever. Well, I'm actually going to meet two students that changed me forever. Between the two of them, they taught me to teach. They taught me to to be more vulnerable, um, let people, let students see that I love to laugh, cut up, that I love hip hop that I love all different types of music and introduce them to that and let them see that world. So I think when I look back to those first three years, Annalie, like, and someone asked me, where am I now in my career? I feel like I'm giving back to the space of where I started and the importance of us celebrating each other as teachers, understanding the value of our differences in the similar space that we occupy and that it is more than okay to, to say, I don't have it all and that I need connections. I need support. I need resources and to be this balance. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I love about where we are today is the individuality, the ability for teachers to have tattoos And show them (laughs) where, you know, for teachers, you know, sometimes I wish I had pink in my hair. I let my daughter wear, you know, color her hair. It looks amazing. (laughs) Wear pink. But in my head, somewhere there's still, I'm still not supposed to have pink hair. Mm -hmm. Um, But I respect that. Um, You know, different ways of piercing, wearing makeup, not wearing makeup, how we dress. I'm. It's almost like there's some relaxation where there's still some tension in our profession and some work, you know, there's, I'm not doubting that there's still things that we need to worry about and there's still a lot of social injustice, but there's a generation of teachers that if we allow ourselves to meet between the baby boomers who are, you know, nearing and towards retirement, I'm generation X. I'm now, you know, there's, we're in these fifties or soon to be fifties, how can we elevate our voice? Mm -hmm. 
share what we've learned and how do we embrace the millennials who we're teaching side by side from. And it's going to take all three generations to really make a difference and show the Generation Z that, you know, I live with and that we're teaching um, that it's all, we're all going to be okay. You know, a phrase I've heard you use before is that you're a teacher's teacher. And I think that's the best way to really sum it up, how you just stated it. Um, Another thing that I really value about you is that you put relationships first and you get to know people and understand them. And talking to you now, I can really see where that came from was in the classroom. So I, I respect that even more about you now. I have two more mm-hmm. questions for you before we wrap up. Um, one is something you ask a lot of our fellow teachers on this podcast. What is your walk-up song? Oh, okay. So you, there's many. You can ask me any day and I have one. So currently, I and I know I put this in, um, our written interview that you and I did is Sia's I'm Alive. And I actually was listening because I'm just going to tell y'all I'm a mass Singer fan. Hetty and I watch it. <laughs> we watch the clues. We try to um, <laughs> zoom in and, uh, you know, figure it out. But when I heard that song, and I Shazam, I Shazam all the time. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know you. Do you know? Oh, I've, I've noticed you taking your phone out and figuring out what song's playing in a restaurant, for yes. sure. And I do that with all TV, because I love how TV now embeds that. And instead of having theme songs, songs are running through. Um, so there's also this song that's a little calmer now. Well, it's calm, and it has some alternative um, tunes to it. And I love how it comes in. People are going to laugh, but Hetty and I talk about it because I'm like, do you hear that 80s influence in this intro? And then The weekend comes in and, you know, then she hears The weekend and knows his signature sound. So blinding lights, that's my jam right now through the airports, sitting, you know, on the runway, getting ready to take off getting in my car, jamming out as I'm leaving an airport and coming back. Um, because I think we, there's this moment of just coolness, um, and sound and, and you, you and I laugh, but I truly in my head, every teacher, you know, like the other day we were talking, I remember I'm like, Luda, you know, and I'm always (laughs) like, Luda, like, I feel like teachers need to have this intro. Yeah. If Luda, Chris can have it. If, Every, DJs can have it. Teachers need to come in and be like, Miss Morris in the house. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so that's that's where I am. But I do live in the, my walk-up space all the time. New songs being added to the playlist. I love it. And I think a lot of people might not guess that you love hip-hop as much as you do. And when we were in Louisiana recently, and listeners, look forward to some future episodes in Louisiana. Um, but we got to ride a lot of lifts around. And I think a lot of our lift drivers were surprised and impressed by your musical knowledge. And one of them was trying to get us to go to a show later that night. And uh, we had a great time. So. I know. We actually remember we were, I'm like, Annalie, can we can we make this happen? Like, can, <laughs> Do you think we can hang till 11 and go? Because when he was trying to tell me. But I did see him look in the rearview mirror. And I'm just going to be honest with y'all. Like his eyes locked at mine. And he was like, how can this woman be talking about mustard? Right. I mean, and know where he comes in and those pieces and the students that we meet in the hallway. To me, 
that's one of the gifts of hip hop. And because you can also pull lyrics out and throw that lyric in a conversation. And students are often like, what? How does she know that? And I lived, well, my first few years teaching, Tupac and Biggie Smalls was the the battle, right? That was the argument and debate. And then, unfortunately, things happen, and we also had to talk about that and and feel that in the same space where, you know, Annalie, a lot of people don't know, I lost a student to gun violence. Like, I remember seeing his eyes one day— beautiful eyes. And I, he was doing something he wasn't supposed to. And I called him on it. And I remember telling him like, you don't want, first of all, he was like, miss, how do you know it's me? I'm like, your eyes will always tell me who you were. He he was wearing something that was covering his face and all you could see was his eyes. And I remember him being like, miss Morris, how do you know it's me? And I'm like, because you have these beautiful eyes, these great eyelashes, and you have a certain shine in your eyes. And he was completely like, what? So when I, having these conversations and that part of teaching, I also wasn't expecting. At the same time, I lost a student that same year to sickle cell. And so when I look in these moments that you only have this one time to show who you are, Like, to me, it's okay for people to look at me and be like, okay, so you're slightly chubby. Don't even. (laughs) You're you're this 50-year-old white woman. Like, how can this be possible? And then I make it as if it's possible. And I know that the way I ask questions, the way I look at people's faces, regardless of your age, I think people know she is in it. Like, she's really listening. And in that same conversation, remember when we were in the car and I said, Annalie, do you know when the teacher, when I piped in and the teacher said, I didn't know if you were really paying attention when you were observing the class. Do you know that I still think about that every day? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, did he, do I, I might need to change in the way I am engaging. Like, I'm trying to not be noticed in the class. I'm, I'm really noticed. He was surprised how much I did notice by not always looking. Well, I think that's mm, some feedback for you is that I think I mean, people don't always realize how observant you may be, but you see people just like that student was surprised that you were able to recognize him when his face was covered. You, you see them and you see what's maybe happening beneath the surface when some people aren't able to get there for whatever reason. And I think that's, that's one of your strengths and um, something I love about you. So in that same vein, I think we're all always learning and we're all always improving. And my last question for you is, what is your one thing that you want all teachers to know and to imbue in their practice? So one thing I want every teacher to know is the importance of recognizing yourself. Be you, but be open to feedback. Two things, be open to feedback Be open to being vulnerable and listening, but also be willing to process that feedback. So here, when I take in feedback, I'm listening for feedback that is going to make me better. Feedback that is real and that they're seeing me and they want me to be better. They're not giving me feedback to be them or 
negate something that I see is probably my most powerful part of myself. Um, and and if the, if I am getting feedback in that, I often am in a calm way now, not maybe didn't sound this calm when I was 25 or 30 or, you know, I'm going to truly change the world. It is, you know, I am awesome. But asking a question back that has the person who just gave me the feedback responsible for what's their true intention for the feedback. Because maybe they're not allowing themselves to see the best me and what I bring to the table, rather trying to fit a mold. And so in that same, when you're processing through that, and I think I've often probably shared this with you and because I love how we're develop our friendship is developing and I feel like I've become your, your mentor and you, you know, I agree. Yeah. Um, you may not be realizing it, but that's where <laughs> I feel like our, our friendship is going, but I'll often say there's some feedback that is needs to just be white noise. You can't, you can't take it in. Because that person that's giving it only sees things from their four walls or from a box. And we can't be in a box now. There's, there's too many precious things happening that we can't only be one way or to one perspective. Or, you know, we've never done that before. Or, or sometimes even white noise for me is, you know what, we tried that. So I'm always the one that's coming up. Well, tell me more about that. Tell me what you've tried. How did you notice what worked or what didn't work? Um, but I'm a disruptor in places where I think you need to disrupt. And so my last advice to us as teachers is don't just disrupt everything. Don't say no to everything. Don't quickly say something's not going to work on your own terms. Sometimes structured programs are needed. Sometimes teacher creativity is needed. But don't go out and just disrupt everything. Disrupt in, pri- in what needs to be prioritized and what deserves and needs to be changed. But there are some of us that are becoming your mentors, and we're still cool and hip. And yes, still have amazing playlists on our phone. You absolutely do. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for sitting down with me. And I hope that our listeners enjoyed this as well. And everyone, as you know, you can be the first to hear by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. I hope you enjoyed today's show and will please rate and review and share with your network. You can join our community and read more on our Shaped blog by visiting hmhco.com slash shaped. And there you'll find a schedule of future episodes. We have a lot more fun stuff coming out this year and I hope you'll all tune in. HMH Learning Moments is produced by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, The Learning Company. Thanks again for listening.